0: I think a lot of people do struggle with finding this place, which is why we have a website now. Um, But uh, the good news is we're going to get this door fixed, I think, this week. So if it's not, then we'll live. (laughs) We get along here. Um, I think one thing I was, before I began this morning, I I just felt compelled to say that... uh, I've lived in Georgia for eight months. Man, y'all, we just live in a beautiful state. Do we not? Georgia's pretty. This is going to be my first spring. There's already roses coming out of my backyard. It's February. If I could just give you all a picture right now of what it looks like in Kentucky right now. It's wet and it's cold and there's decaying tobacco leaves everywhere. So... (laughs) anyway I just thought about that just Georgia's just beautiful I just God took me to a beautiful state I just I don't, I don't I'm buttering you up a little bit before I take you down with the word but um, I was just really just uh, convicted about that we took the kids yesterday uh, another blessing by the Lord we live across the street from a park with nineteen month old twins which is a blessing um, even though Roman was hell bent on playing in the dirt the entire time, so that was Kelly was like, "Why do we even come here? He just wants to get dirty the whole time." But um, I was um, I was just just felt compelled to to encourage you all. I think where you're at, you get used to where you're at. Take it from an outsider, God has blessed you as Georgians. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter one, verses forty three through fifty one. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. you want to stand for the reading of God's Word? Just to clarify, we don't stand because we think that this book has magical powers. We're not doing it because we think this is uh, you know, the Word incarnate. It's not why we're, we're not worshiping the Bible. Uh, we're just doing this out of the reverence for God's Word. That's all All reason we do that. Um, we are a people of the Word here at Church of Haines Creek. And so the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle John, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, teach us this morning what you mean when you say that there are greater things for us to see. Teach us this morning what it means when you tell Philip, follow me. Reveal to us this morning what it means to be disciples of your son Jesus. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. You may be seated. This morning I see one big idea from this text. One big idea. I'm not going to give you bullets this time. I see one big truth, and it's this. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus knew you, and He pursued you. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus knew you, and He pursued you. I think oftentimes when we think of being disciples, we think about following Jesus, and that's true. We see that in this text. But in this case... We can't can't forget that Jesus found them. He found us. In order to follow Jesus, He has to find you first. He has to come after you, because you sure as heck weren't looking for Him. And we see that here this morning. When I pastored a church in Kentucky, um, it was called Chaplin, was the name of the town. When I moved there, they had a small... How many people ever grew up in a town that had a post office that you could walk in? Literally, like, take three steps and that's all you had. It's like a little closet. Is anybody ever raised in that town? Okay, this was that, and then while I was there, it closed. Uh, that's how small they were. There was a big town hall meeting about whether they should keep it open just four hours a day. This was a small town. I mean, the only guy that was basically keeping this place afloat was a guy that basically uh, shipped metal uh, out. He was a distributor. Um, who actually happened to be uh, the head elder at our church, and I noticed while I was there, in a very short time, that there was a there was a neighboring town called Bloomfield. Um, oddly enough, the only thing about that town was Michael Bruck, uh, Bruckheimer, the producer. He owned this basically half the county or the town. Um, I guess he came in there and he had a little farm there. But the people in Bloomfield would always like make fun of the people in Chaplin. It was just you know, I just I was struck by that. It was almost like one ant making fun of another ant. I mean, it was they were so small, yet Bloomfield had something over Chaplin. I don't know what it was. Um, and you just drove down a road, you blinked, you were in Chaplin. No difference. They looked the same. Both very beautiful in the hill country, or what they call Bourbon Country, in Kentucky. Then I moved to Baton Rouge. God called uh, Kelly and I out of Baton Rouge. The town we were living in, or pastoring in rather, uh, just was a really nice neighborhood, really nice community, and we just couldn't afford the housing there. So we lived across the river, which was really a big creek, in another parish. They don't have counties there; they have parishes. And I, you know, I still made it to work in ten minutes. And I remember. <laughs> I went to, to Central where where I pastored and they would like make fun of the water in Denham. They're like, Oh you live in Denham? Huh? Well they wearing they only wearing shoes over there, are they? I'm like, You mean that place that's like ten minutes away? And it occurred to me there they had a little rivalry there. That somehow Denham and Central Central thought it was a little better than Denham. I eat and I don't know, it was just it was Dynamites is what they call them. Then I moved to Georgia. And I moved to Covington. Well, Covington's got its own little rivalry. It's called Conyers. When I moved to Covington, people started taking shots at Conyers. And I moved to, you know, you just, I mean, it's like two exits, I think. Doesn't look a lot different to me, very different to a Covingtonian. What I noticed was, now having been here eight eight months, I see the difference. But of course you can understand, not being from here, one common denominator everywhere I go. And that is, there's always someone lower on the totem pole. And wouldn't you know it, it was the same way in first century Israel. There's always someone to crack on. There's always someone, there's a rivalry there. There's always a place that's not quite as good as you. When Philip comes to tell Nathaniel that he's found the one who fulfills the Jewish scriptures and that his name's Jesus of Nazareth, what's the first thing Nathaniel says? What in the world is he doing in Nazareth? Can you just hear the prejudice in his voice? Can there be anything good coming from Nazareth? I mean, the town of Nazareth isn't even mentioned. You can almost, underst- you know, almost kind of understand where Nathanael's coming from because the town of Nazareth isn't even mentioned once in the Old Testament. In fact, there's only probably a, hun- a couple hundred people that would be- have living there at the time. The irony, though, is that Nathanael is from the small village of Cana, which is not exactly a sprawling metropolis. It would almost be like someone from Oxford making fun of someone from Walnut Grove. <laughs> That's kind of how it would be. But they, but apparently, what we do know is that if, if Cana was here, Nazareth was there. We don't know why. So instead of going up to Nathaniel and being like, Hey, uh, I heard what you were saying about Nazareth. My mama's from there. That's <laughs> not what he said. That's not what he said. Instead of calling him out for hating on Nazareth and casting shade on Nazareth, Jesus goes up to Nathanael and gives him a compliment. Never seen someone from Conyers come up and do that to Covey. Hey, I heard you were uh, cracking on Conyers. You know what? You're a really good guy. You don't get that anymore. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Talk about killing somebody with kindness. I love this passage because it's a wonderful example of how Jesus' love for sinners isn't dependent on sinners. I love that. By the way, this is just an aside. I've noticed that there's also, the totem pole goes both ways. Madison thinks they're on the top. Just notice that mom here. After hearing Nathaniel hating on Nazareth, Jesus builds this guy up. He gives him the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, but there's actually more than that going on. Jesus is actually making a reference to the Old Testament here. In Genesis, Jacob, who God later renames Israel, deceives his father. You guys know the story, I hope. Deceives his father in order to steal his brother's birthright, Esau. And this is what Isaac, the father, says afterward to Esau in Genesis chapter 27, verses 35 through 36. This is all he says. "'Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing.' Esau said, "'Is he not rightly named Jacob?' which means he cheats or supplants. "'For he has cheated me these two times. "'He took away my birthright, and behold, he's now taken away my blessing.'" That was in Genesis. Now, skipped a couple thousand years to Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham, Jesus sees Nathanael coming up and says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's intentional. That word he uses. It's as if Jesus is saying, Look, it's Israel without a trace of Jacob left in him. That's a pretty high compliment coming from the true Israel. Jesus hears Nathanael throwing shade on Nazareth and he says, Hey, here comes a guy with a pure heart. This is not how regular human beings behave, is it? What do we want? What do we, how do we act? We prefer people giving what? What they give us. They get what they get. That's kind of how, that's the modus operandi for sinners. Just think to yourself have you ever been in a situation where. Someone was talking behind your back and you found out about it, but they don't know you know. Raise your hand if you've ever been in that situation. Does every bone in your body want to tell them you know and call them out? Does does every bone in your body want to get them back? Kind of give them a little, you know, spring them on them. Hey, you didn't know I knew that, did you? See, that's what Jesus could have done here, but he didn't. In fact, he does the exact opposite. When I moved to Louisiana, I remember I remember I moved there and people were like, "Hey, oh, it's from Kentucky. Anybody got any shoes around there?" I'm like, "Seriously? You're from Louisiana." They're like, "Hey, Mr. Kentucky. Hey, y'all, y'all still learn to play football yet?" Okay. All right. That's how it's going to be. Then. All right. Hey, hey, from Kentucky now. Hey, y'all, y'all, y'all got any running water? You know, I you know, not a lot of them, but every once in a while people, they, you know, every bone in my body would be like, You're from the swamp. <laughs> what well, are you making fun of Kentucky for? If anything, I'd think I'd find a, a, a patient audience in Louisiana. No, Louisiana was gonna give it to me. Well, of course I you know what I said. You know, oh, you football team, I couldn't hear you over my eight national titles in basketball. What was that? <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? We used to be good. You ever heard of Pete Maravich? That's what they'd say. And i said, well, you hear about Bear Bryant? They're like, what happened to him? Well, he left. You know, what I could have done and what I learned to do was be an LSU fan. Tell them how great their football team was. Because they learned neat things about it. Not fight with the people I'm trying to love. Tell them that, you know what? Louisiana is a really cool place. It's so hard when you're trying... This, it, our, it's not just a, a spiritual advice. It's just practical. We're never going to find friends and happiness and peace in this life when we're constantly trying to give people what they give us. See, this is what Jesus does here. He repays Nathaniel's offhanded comment with kindness. And actually, this kindness that Jesus is going to give him is going to change Nathaniel's life. He just doesn't know it yet. Jesus knew Nathaniel, and he pursued Nathaniel. Now, this wasn't Jesus just being fake, you know, kind of like you know, paying them. You ever, you ever, like when people send you like a thousand emojis in a text, and you're like, "There's no way they're that happy." <laughs> this isn't him being fake. Okay, this is what Jesus actually believes Nathaniel to be—a man of integrity, and he and he is. This, I mean, obviously not in this instance. But Nathanael was a man without deceit. It came from Jesus' own mouth. Don't think that he was just being uh, facetious or disingenuous. What Nathanael discovers here is that not only does Jesus know his heart, Jesus actually saw him under the fig tree. we seeing the omniscience of the Son of God here. He knows all, sees all. I was just thinking, I really got into... How many people have ever watched the series Planet Earth? I was watching last night the one on islands where there's one island in the world that has the largest dragons on earth. Komodo dragons. I mean, I would love when I get to heaven to ask God, why did you just decide to put six feet long dragons on one island? You know why God did it? It's to His glory He did that. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, one of the things I heard... Um, when, when t- people are talking about aliens, is they'll go, uh, hey, you think there's life on, on other planets? And some, have you ever heard somebody go this? They'll say, uh, well, there better be because it's an awful, awful waste of space. Why is it a waste of space? Just because you're not there? It's to His glory because God sees all. He sees the ants on an island. He sees the Komodo dragons. He saw North America before people got there. God has seen all. He's created all. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And we're seeing just a glimpse of that here when Jesus says, Hey, remember when you were of that fig tree? I saw you. And apparently it cuts to the core of Nathanael's heart. Because Nathanael knows what he's talking about. And this is what he says, verses 48-49. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, is exactly what he says. Jesus knew this man. He foreknew this man. And it was enough to evoke his worship. When I was in high school... There used to be this saying people used, um, I don't think they say anymore, people used to be like, man, you don't know me. People used to say that. But I don't know if that's still a thing. I just found out a couple weeks ago, Matt Funk told me, uh, nobody says boo anymore. It's "bay." So maybe, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning these things. Um, so I just remember people sometimes, like, they go, man, you don't know me. That's what they were trying to say was, no, you're not my friend. You don't. You haven't been around with me. You haven't been by your, by my side. What Jesus is saying here to Nathaniel is, I not only know where you've been, I know who you are. I think one of the biggest obstacles that people face in the church today is their past. They think that what they've done in secret, that no one knows about, is a burden that keeps them from other people. Sometimes it's almost an invisible wall. Someone could actually step inside of a church, sing, shake hands worship God, leave, and all the while what they're saying in their heart is, these people don't know me. They don't know where I've been. They don't know what I've experienced. They certainly don't come from where I come from. The truth is that there might be not be one person in the world who completely understands your life, your story, your past, but what we know from here in this passage is Jesus does. And He not only knows you, He also knew you before you walked inside of a church. He knew you before you could even walk. He knew you before you were born. If Jesus knew Nathanael under the fig tree, He knew you in the worst chapter of your life. And if you're in Christ today, it means He knew you and He pursued you. What Jesus is telling Nathanael is that time when you thought no one was looking, the time you thought no one was around, I was there, and I know you better than you know yourself. We are, we are watching the omniscience of Jesus on display. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody's like, Hey, what's going on, Josh? And you're like, do I know you? How many times somebody introduced themselves, they know you, but you don't know them? My wife can tell when I don't know that person. I won't give away my secret, but my wife knows the generic responses that I get. We'll walk away and she'll go, you didn't know who that boy was. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> this is kind of what Nathaniel's like in verse 48. How do you know me? I mean, somebody gives you a compliment. It's like, be, somebody would be like, "Abby be Todd, best preacher I've ever seen. Then i tell them, you really don't know me then. <laughs> I'd be like, do you know me? Which kind of happens a lot of times at downtown. They'll be like, Pastor Todd, I loved it that time he preached. I'm going, I don't know you. What I imagine Jesus is thinking is, Nathaniel, if you could catch a glimpse of how well I know you, it would make your mind pop. You know, the relationship that Jesus wants with us is but a taste of the relationship that the Son has with the Father. The relationship that we have with one another and with Jesus should be the most intimate deep relationship we have on earth. Today when people say, you know, it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. We hear that all the time, and it is that. Let's not sell it short and think it's like something I have with a friend. It's very much deeper than that. Jesus is giving Nathaniel a glimpse into how well the Son of God knows us. For those who believe in the gospel, we have the peace of knowing that Jesus knows us just as intimately as He did Nathaniel. I think one of the things Christians often forget is that Jesus chose the disciples. He picked them. He elected them. It certainly wasn't because they were more deserving and more intelligent than anyone else. It was merely by His grace. I mean, just look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Now, of course, right after that it says, follow me, and he did. He found Philip, not he ran into Philip or he happened to bump into Philip. He found Philip. He went after Philip. These men are not accidents, and if you are in Christ today, it is not by accident. Jesus knew you and he pursued you. Well, I'll be, why is that important? Because I need that truth on the days when I'm very short with my wife. I need those on the days where I go entire day without prayer. I need, the, I need the truth of God's sovereign grace on the days when I am weak in the flesh and I am jealous and I am covetous and I am wanting things that aren't mine and I am prideful. Because if I don't have that, I'm tempted in my flesh to think that Abi Todd's a Christian and some people aren't because I had something inside of me that was just a little bit better. And that's a lie. Jesus knew me and Jesus pursued Abby because he, just like he did with Philip and Nathaniel, he found Abby. I remember, I don't think they do this anymore. Did did anybody when they were little have like the little gifted and talented program in the elementary schools? If you weren't in it, you probably hated it. (laughs) I see that now. Um, I was in it. I was in the, the, they called it the Gates program. It was gifted and talented, educational system I don't know what do. we were just called the gifted kids and we got to get out of class once a week and do our little gifted things I don't know what to do. we'd make crafts and but I remember we get to miss math which was cool because I hated math and I remember when before the bell rang the gifted and talented teacher would have to let us back in and they'd be in the you know the middle of like problems and we'd get to kind of walk in and be like I'm gifted. <laughs> you kind of go back into class and be like, You kind of walk in a little swagger at fifth grade because you're like, I'm a gifted and talented program. That, yeah, that's right. It means I'm gifted and I'm talented. I don't know who decided that. I never took a test. Somebody just came in and said, Well, you're gifted. <laughs> Must be. That's what my mom always said. <laughs> that is not Church. And what I mean by that is you don't get to walk out of that door when the service is done and be like, yep, I'm Christian, you're not. I'm saved. No, I'm on good terms with Jesus because I did these things and you're not. That's not how church works. Church and being a Christian does not mean you get to tout your Christianness to other people because by definition the church are people who believe in the grace of Jesus and the fact that they need it. Being a Christian is not the spiritual gifted and talented program. It is people who were sought and were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We were found just like Philip and Nathaniel were found. Do you see how that undercuts human pride? You can't boast. The disciple is someone who was sought and was... This story did not begin with Philip or Nathaniel looking for Jesus. It began with Jesus finding Philip. And that's where each of our stories begin. I mean, just think for a second, if you were like walking around and Jesus was like, you stopped and st- stared into your soul and be like, hey, you remember that time at Walmart where you are picking your nose and you didn't think anybody knew? I saw you. <laughs> it's kind of what Nathanael going through his head right now. Whoa, hold on, you... Wow, you are the Son of God. I mean, he's thinking, who is this man who knows my every move? I mean, wherever this was, whatever the fig tree, whatever was happening there, Nathanael was convinced and knew it in a second. I didn't think anybody was around. And yet, Jesus saw him. So, Nathanael is skeptical, Jesus demonstrates his power. And then in verse 49, Nathanael says, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So he says, You're you're God and you're the King. That sounds a lot like another story in John. You know who I'm talking about? Skeptical, confesses God is King. Who is it? Thomas. Like Nathanael, Thomas was skeptical. Jesus shows him his scars and then this is what Thomas says in verse 28 John chapter 20 My Lord and my God So does that sound familiar? Nathaniel says you're my God and my King Thomas says you're my Lord and my God it's, often, it's as if John has bookended those confessions on each side of his gospel. And it's important. It's a very important theme in this gospel. Therefore, it's a very important to us to understand the lordship and the kingship of Jesus is essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Andrew told Peter last week? We have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found the anointed one. We found the King. And now here we are in verse 49. Nathaniel cries out, You are king! Yes, Jesus is rabbi. Yes, He is savior. Yes, He is a teacher. But the fact that Jesus is king is also essential to the gospel. You see, the human condition is sin. We are all sin Full. We've all sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. We know this. Every single human being is born into sin. And because we're sinners, it doesn't just mean that we make mistakes. It means that we're all idolaters and we've placed ourselves on our own throne. And we hate anyone or anything that challenges that authority. And so the reason Jesus came is that He could send His Spirit into our hearts so that He could dethrone us and he could place himself as king over our hearts. So the gospel itself is about enthronement. That's why repentance is so hard. You have to step off your throne. Every single time that someone claims to be a Christian and yet doesn't want to submit to the authority of a church, what they're telling us is, I want my own throne. Every single time that a man wants to be a leader in a church and wants to be the head of his household but yet can't receive godly correction, he's saying, get off my throne. Every single time you covet what someone else has or you get jealous or you get pride hurt because someone has told you that you need to correct yourself, what you're saying is, I don't like that your throne is bigger than mine. And then there's King Jesus, whose castle is in Nazareth, Whose throne is a cross. And who's come to destroy human arrogance and pride. It's one thing to simply say, Yeah, Jesus is my Savior. It's quite another to surrender every decision, every choice, every thought, your entire life to the Lordship of Jesus. When when Jesus tells Philip, Follow me, what He's saying is, You will surrender everything to me. I love how this passage ends. This is Jesus' response in the last two verses. Verses 50-51. through Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus says the phrase greater things several times in this Gospel. But in this instance, what Jesus is saying is, you think a little omniscience is impressive? You ain't seen nothing yet. But what He's also saying is, you're gonna, I'm going to reveal myself to you more than just saying, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. We were talking this morning with our, with our worship team And I told them, I just kept focusing on that phrase. Out of the entire passage, those two words, greater things. What's greater than being all-knowing? You know what I think is greater than just displaying a little omniscience? I think when we come to church and we preach the gospel, when you evangelize to someone and pluck someone out of hell, when you deliver the best news in the world to a lost generation, we are taking part in these greater things. What Jesus is saying is, it's not just the display of my strength. The gospel is going to be greater than it all. Now verse 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. Well, that's a reference to the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 28. This is what they said. Verses 12 and 13 of Genesis chapter 28. And he dreamed, this was Jacob, and behold, there was a ladder. And he set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. So in Genesis 28, God reveals the ladder of angels to Jacob in order to show Jacob that he is the God of the covenants and that he will keep the promises he made to Abraham. Flash forward to John 1, when Jesus tells Nathanael that ye will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of God, what Jesus is effectively saying is, I am the covenant-keeping God. I am the one who came to fulfill the promises to Abraham. I am the God of the Old Testament. And just like Abraham, I'm coming after you. What Nathaniel doesn't know is that Jesus' greatest revelation of His deity, of His power, of His sonship, it's not going to come on a throne. It's not going to be in a castle. It's going to be on a cross. Nathaniel is marveling at Jesus' omniscience. He can't get over the fact that Jesus somehow saw him under a fig tree, but what he can't possibly know is that Jesus' divine glory will be on its greatest display when he is dying on a tree for Nathaniel's sins. If Nathaniel is marveling now at how Jesus knows him that well, wait until he sees Jesus go to the cross to forgive him of his sins. Jesus knew Nathanael. He pursued Nathanael all the way to the cross. I wanted to end this morning with an observation. I believe that most people today, if you really dug deep into their heart, they hate the idea of following someone else with all of their heart, soul, and mind. I don't think people went left to their flesh. I think people hate that idea. But I think what people also forget is it's much easier to surrender your life to a king who died in your place. This morning, if you think you've been following Jesus, but you've never surrendered to his authority, that is such an important confession when Nathanael says, you are God and you are the king of Israel. If you want to start bowing before the throne of Jesus if you want to start surrendering your life to his lordship and everything you do everything you think everything that you say don't start on throne. start on calvary because the precious blood of Jesus was shed for us because Jesus knew us before we were born and he pursued us even to the point of shedding his own blood If you've never believed in that gospel, I implore you, I plead with you, I invite you this morning, come down and get saved. Because that's what we're here for. Let's pray. Father God, we are so humbled to know that You are a God, ineffable, vast, omnipotent, infinite, who took flesh in Christ, dwelt among us, and died on a hill that you created that we might be called sons of God. Father, show us the depths of your love on Calvary. Not so that we can grandstand and tell people, hey, I'm, I believed in Him. I'm the one that did it because I'm a little bit better than other people. No, Father, bring us to Your glory in faith knowing that it was You who sought us. It was You who found us so that we could follow You. Father, show us the glory of Your grace. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen.